0: Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kylan, friends. Today, we're going to be talking to Felix from Chapo Trap House. So, uh, very interesting and exciting for me. I've enjoyed their podcast for quite a long time. They make me smile. They make me laugh. Uh, Interesting guys. Big fan of all of their Twitter accounts. So, I'm looking forward to it. Very
1: reverent, very smart, very funny. Yeah. All that good stuff.
0: And they're also humble. He's humble because he doesn't, you know, since Dirtbag left, he feels, you know, like maybe he's not that, but I think he's brilliant. So, anyway, uh, before we get into that... There's a bunch of stuff I wanted to talk to you guys about. So first of all, there is a, honestly, to call it what it is, a colossal smear campaign going on right now from right-wing media like Fox News um, against this notion of harm reduction when it comes to substance abuse and addiction. So let's start the story here with Tucker Carlson. So Tucker Carlson goes out on his show, and he effectively says... You know, Biden has uh, like a free crack pipes policy for people, which he argues is like incentivizing drug use. Here, I'll read you this from the Daily Mail. Quote, Biden administration is promoting drug addiction. Tucker Carlson slams policy to hand out free crack pipes and needles, warning it will, quote, result in addicts shooting up on the streets. That's literally exactly wrong. The whole point is so that they don't shoot up on the streets. That's the whole point of having the harm reduction center. Anyway, we'll we'll get into more of this. Tucker Carlson mocked the Biden administration's plan to distribute safe smoking kits to uh, underserved communities on his show Tuesday night. Carlson doubled down on claims the administration would distribute crack pipes and said they were promoting drug addiction. The White House said crack crack pipes were never going to be distributed. We'll get into that, too. Carlson also poked fun at Hunter Biden's past addiction and said Biden was doing little to fight the opioid crisis because victims were, quote, mostly white. Fellow Fox host Sean Hannity also blasted the administration of U.S. Senator uh, John Kerry of Louisiana, called the plan, quote, stupid. So um, in response to this, like... Free crack pipes for all from the Biden administration attack, which, by the way, did catch fire. It was big on social media, big on right wing media. You yeah. know, they were talking about it nonstop. They thought right. they really had one where they could pounce. A bunch of Republican senators weighed in on it as well. In response to this, the Biden administration comes out and goes, no, 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 there, no. There, there are no free uh, crack pipes. We don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, we have this 30 million dollars thing for harm reduction for addicts and stuff. But it never the idea was never to have any crack pipes in there at all. Yeah turns out that's actually not true in some instances yes it does include crack pipes
1: okay so this is all this like comes from language in this grant proposal that suggested that the federal funds might be used among many other things including syringes and condoms and medication lock boxes and fentanyl testing strips um and naloxone that one of the items that might be funded is, quote-unquote, safe smoking kits slash supplies.
0: Let me give you the quote.
1: Okay. Can I give you the quote? Yeah.
0: No federal funding will be, quote, no federal funding will be used directly or through subsequent reimbursement of grantees to put pipes in safe smoking kits. Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra uh, and White House Drug Policy Advisor Rahul Gupta said in a joint statement. Yes. So notice the careful wording.
1: Yes, right. Directly. Right. And also, I mean, so I, frankly, I'm very familiar with the policy of safe injection sites and needle exchanges and those sorts of things. I had honestly never heard of safe smoking kits, so I looked into what this was. And if these are in distribution use across the country, there are some places that distribute safe smoking kits, although it is not all that common. And in some of those instances, they do include crack pipes safe crack pipes and in some of them they don't the other kits will have things like alcohol wipes and whatever to make sure that the whatever you're using is clean and safe and so that's that's what they're trying to say is like our safe smoking kits would be the kind that didn't have the crack pipes in them but the larger point is that they're they just like instantly cave to the right wing narrative here's
0: the thing you're never gonna satiate the right on this point because they have what intuitively feels like the common sense position. Mm-hmm. The common sense, I don't want the government giving people drugs or drug paraphernalia. I don't want people getting crack pipes. I don't want people getting needles. I don't want my tax money going to this. And look, I admit, on, at face value, absolutely. In fact, I was against these safe injection sites for the longest time. But then you know what? I learned about them. And when I learned about them, I found out very quickly... They are phenomenally successful. So look, the main claim is, well, now you're just incentivizing people to check out of life and go do crack or go inject heroin at one of these safe injection sites. There is absolutely no expansion of people who want to do the drug. The bottom line is people who want to do the drug are going to do the drug. The question is, do you want them to do it in a way where it's safe where you don't transmit disease, where you don't overdose and die instantly? Yeah. Or do you want them to do it on the street where that does happen? And so, just to put this in perspective for everybody, because this is a real-world problem, I covered this on my show recently. New York City opened the first two supervised drug injection sites, um, and they've already reversed, in two months, they've already reversed 114 overdoses. That's 114 lives that otherwise would have definitely been lost. But now, because you have the harm reduction center, it's literally in the name harm reduction, you're able to save their lives. And so it's such a cheap point for the right to make. Oh, you want to give people free crack pipes? You want to give people free needles? And the Biden administration mass just packed full of cucks and sheer cookery immediately caved over. Like, no, no, we don't
1: want to have a crack place for them. Not at all. We don't want to do that at all. Well, there's a long history, and there's actually a lot to unpack here, because there's a long history in this country, too, of treating some drugs like they're fine or like they're, it's okay if they're, like, party drugs and they're associated more with, like, upper class people and disproportionately white people and other drugs are treated in a different way. Obviously, like, the government policy codification of the crack, cocaine, sentencing disparity, which Joe Biden was involved with, is classic example example of how different categories of drugs are treated and viewed in very different ways, something that Dr. Carl Hart talked to us about. And so in Tucker's comments, it's interesting and very revealing that at the same time that he's, you know, making a lot of hay out of free crack pipe distribution, he's also saying, you're not doing anything about the opioid crisis but needle exchanges and safe injection sites and those sorts of that's directly has to do with the opioid crisis. And not only that, we've had such an issue, a devastating addiction crisis that has claimed so many lives in this country and in a lot of red states that even a lot of Republicans have gotten on board with some of these measures. So when Mike Pence was governor of Indiana, extraordinarily belatedly, after they had, you know, a very significant HIV outbreak in his home state from people sharing needles, he even eventually, again, way too late, got on board with um, a needle exchange. And so I think some of, because the opioid crisis affected people so broadly, affected red states, affected a lot of white Americans, um, the white working class was really hit hard by this first and foremost. There's there had been a little bit of an evolution in how Republicans were approaching and talking about the war on drugs. And so this represents just a total regression to absolute 100 percent, you know, 90s style war on drugs rhetoric. And that's what to me is really troubling, because it starts with just attacking the, you know, the crack pipes, which, yeah, you hear that and you're like, well, that's silly and that's ridiculous and the government shouldn't be funding that, et cetera, et cetera. But when you accept the argument that harm reduction measures are a ridiculous, absurd, immoral waste of government funds, well, then that bleeds over to your whole harm reduction approach, and that's what I find to be so ugly about this. I
0: mean, the point the point you made is such a wonderful point, Crystal, because that's the heart of it. The heart of it is he's saying, uh, well, you're not even doing anything about the opioid crisis. You're literally attacking the thing right now that is to address the problem that you say you care about. Yeah. yeah like, just to score some cheap political points. I mean, and the other thing is, they say, like he says, uh, yeah, he's so concerned about the opioid crisis. The do-gooders reacted to the opioid crisis by cracking down on the pills and then everybody moved on to fentanyl and now more people are dying so if you're gonna address problems which you should you have to do it in an intelligent way and you have to look at the data and the bottom line is empirically the harm reduction sites reduce harm that's just a fact yeah and i get it look if you're sitting out there and you're resistant to the idea i understand it because again at face value intuitively it sounds wrong Government's going to give out free crack pipes or government's going to, you know, uh, give out free needles. Uh, I get it. I get it. At face value doesn't sound good. But when you see it saves in the long run over the course of a year, if you have them all around the country, it will literally save tens of thousands of lives. And those are people who are sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and their people. And they matter. So, you know what the Biden administration should have done to this backlash, puff their chest out and say, you're right that's exactly what we're doing because we're going to save tens of thousands of lives because we care about these people. They're our fellow Americans. They're our brothers and sisters. Their lives matter. They matter. And because you guys want to do a cheap racist panic where you say, oh, crack pipes for all. That's the racial angle, too, like you said. Yeah. On the one hand, oh, I care about the opioid crisis. But not the crack part. Right. But not the crack part. Mm-hmm. So it's, oh, God, it's just so. And they, it's a, it's a win for them, too. Because, look, most of the issues we talk about on this show, on my show, on your show, we take positions that are poll very well. I understand that. That's very true. This is one where I freely admit probably on the losing side of it that I come out here and say, "Yeah, free crack pipes. Yeah, free needles." I get it. That's not going to poll well. But you make the argument because you it empirically works and that's all that matters.
1: Yeah, well this is what where like having actual leadership <laughs> matters. Um and this is what Democrats do all the time is something will get completely demonized by the right And they'll make a whole thing about it. And this was, I mean, this is huge in the bloodstream of the right-wing media ecosystem over the course of this week. It's a huge story for them. It wasn't just Tucker. It was, you know, all kinds of different outlets writing it up and all kinds of Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio jumping on top of it and whatever. And usually the response from the liberal media outlets is just like, We're not. We're just not going to say anything about it Mm -hmm. and hope this thing goes away. Mm -hmm. And that's usually the response from the Democratic politicians too, of like, let's just hope that this sort of does down because we know that's an uncomfortable one for us. And what that does is it just completely seats the terrain. And so there is no alternative argument being offered in like mainstream media ecosystem. And so then, yeah, anyone who hears about it, they're only hearing the. Right wing narrative about it. And so, you know, that's how they end up winning on these culture war issues over and over. They're so good at finding these little things like this. I mean, this is like one little bullet point in a grant proposal and they turn it into a whole very, very successful news cycle for them, which, again, like. On the merits of this one policy, was this going to be a game changer in the war on drugs? No. But is it incredibly damaging in terms of how we were starting to evolve in our thinking about how to treat um, addiction? Yeah, there was a a little bit of, of an opening there because of the way that the opioid crisis hit so many people. The other angle that the Tucker Carlson's of the world... I mean, the, look. The obvious answer here is to end the war on drugs, and that's the only answer ultimately that's going to deal with any of this. And you can look around the world and see very clear evidence that that is the case because we've been interdicting heroin for over a hundred years. Like cutting off the supply is never ever going to work. Um, you just go to the more and more concentrated form, which is why we have fentanyl. Their other answer is just like border enforcement, stop the shipments in at you know at the border and. Again, that has never worked throughout history and it never will work. So ultimately, even as they have feigned control over the opioid crisis, they have never offered any sort of a solution that would actually deal with the pain and suffering that that has caused.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. It's just amazing to me that just to try to stop the bad optics from continuing, the response was like,
1: yeah, no, 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 Biden no. no, no. We don't even warrior. believe in it.
0: He, that, you're right. He's, he is a he drug warrior. Ideal,
1: he's honestly being more ideologically honest in you're right. in the backtrack. Right. He's not committed to this. I mean, That's right. This guy could deschedule marijuana, and a whole lot of other things, while and he's he at just it, and he won't do it. He, it. Do it. he promised right. to do it in the campaign trail. So, I mean, to me, I look at I'm sho- I'm shocked they even like put this out there because this is ideologically consistent with who Joe Biden has been his entire career.
0: But you know, it's just it's so stunning to me though because you have like two right right-wing factions in the US just totally agreeing in unison when this is an area where we actually found an answer that works and they're just like, nah, no, not going to do it, don't want to do it because, you know, the optics of it are bad and it's free crack pipes for all or free needles for all. Yeah. It's like, do you care that it's going to save tens of thousands of lives and you don't have people you know, literally, like the streets will be dirtier if you let people just go out there and do it. People sharing needles, people sharing pipes, people getting diseases, people overdosing—all yeah. of those things we all agree are bad. But then, when the solution is a little counterintuitive, all of a sudden everybody becomes like a seven IQ loser.
1: And the problem—the the other good thing with um, safe injection sites is that then you have people connected to if they do want to get off, if they want to get off, right. they they're connected to system and resources and the ideal circumstance where they can be on a path pathway and have support in doing that. That's the other important piece.
0: Very important. So the other thing I wanted to talk to you about John Stewart last week, and we covered it on this show, I think where he talked about the Joe Rogan situation and Spotify and censorship. And you know, his broader point was like, look, engage Joe's an honest actor. Even if you disagree with him, even if you disagree with him a lot, he like means where he's coming from. And so he's movable and all this stuff. Yeah. Apparently John got decent amount of backlash Mm -hmm. from that. Um, and he, in response to the backlash, decided, you know what, let me have on an expert to, to talk about, like a misinformation expert or something. So um, <laughs> so he did a podcast with this person. Look, he's an open-minded guy. He's an intelligent guy. Yeah. Don't begrudge him having that conversation. No. It's fine to have that I'm conversation. Just
1: always, I'm very skeptical of these misinformation experts to start with. But
0: Totally agree. I'm with, I'm with you on that completely. Yes. Now, I highly recommend everybody go watch the whole thing. It's, just, it's on his YouTube channel. It's about 30 minutes long. But I wanted to show you guys the part which I think is the crux of the issue here. Notice how Jon Stewart lays out his case in a lot of detail. No uncertain terms here with what his position is. And then notice... How the response from this expert just doesn't even address anything he just said. Take a look.
2: Well, first of all, I know Joe. So I think you always grant more understanding and nuance to people you know because you know them as more three dimensionally than what that uh, appearance is. So, and we always demonize those that we maybe feel alien to us. So on his YouTube channel? That goes right in there. I'm already guilty of a, of a bias, right? Mm-hmm. But the second part of it, where I, where I run into trouble is the thing you just said, you talked about, they want the benefit, but they don't want the accountability. And you mentioned weapons of mass destruction. And it reminded me like the New York times, right? Was a giant purveyor of misinformation and disinformation. I don't know that the times was purposeful, but misinformation. And that's as vaunted a media organization as you can find, but there was no accountability for them. And I think where I get nervous is in the run-up to the Iraq War and in the prosecution of the Iraq War, I was very vocal and sometimes (laughs) cursed uh, about about that. But the mainstream view, the New York Times, was they have weapons of mass destruction, they have these tubes that can only be used for nuclear war. Uh, Saddam Hussein is this, he's that. Couldn't I have gone down and fallen down this, if, if Viacom or Comedy Central had wanted to censor me or had wanted to take me out. the pot. Look, I'm not owed a platform. Nobody is. So it's not, it's not a first amendment issue. It's not any of that. We're really, once you're in bed with a corporation, the deal is they have to sell enough beer and, and you get to do what you want. <laughs> but, but my point is, this is, a, these are shifting sands. And I think I get concerned with, well, who gets to decide, what that I mean, we in the Iraq War, I was on the side of what you would think on the mainstream is misinformation, I was promoting what they would call misinformation. But it turned out to be right years later, and the establishment media was wrong. And not only were they wrong, in some respects, you could make the case that they enabled a war that killed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and never paid a price for it and never had accountability. And just having an ombudsman print a retraction, to me, is an accountability. So it's very easy to attack Rogan. But, and I'm not saying that that's not your right and, and that there aren't things there to talk about. But what I'm saying is, let's be careful, because the sands can shift.
1: Yeah, people are in a new information uh, ecosystem, and they're mm-hmm. trying their best. But that's the thing about these these platforms over the years yeah. is that we've in, we've asked no accountability from them. They're right. not built by librarians who are actual stewards of information, and so it's been ta- it's taken us a long time. Uh, at least the last decade to get into the moment where we ask more from these
0: companies. So I want to be fair again. Go watch the whole thing, everybody, so you get a sense of the contours of all of her arguments. But I think showing that clip is actually fair in terms of sort of summing up like the points here. And you made a good point to me before the show Mm -hmm. about this. Repeat that for everybody, because I thought that was really insightful. I don't know what point
1: you're talking about, but the point I was going to make with
0: It has to do with she's looking at it from a democratic perspective. Yes. So so go ahead.
1: The way she frames this is like, oh, well, now people have this democratic means to hold these companies to account and demand more from them, but that's not the way that this is going to work out. What you're actually asking for is not we want a democratic say in what these companies are doing, which I totally agree with. That's why I think they should be basically nationalized and regulated as public utilities. What you're demanding is for these corporate behemoths to have even more power. And these are giant monopolies at this point, too. So it's the exact opposite of how she's framing it of like, oh, well, now people have a say. No, no, no. What you are demanding is for them to take more power and have more ability and justification to push Jon Stewart off the air when he's advocating against the Iraq war. And I think relevant to this discussion, too, is the fact that just right now, NBC News hired Stephen Hayes. Uh, CNN hired Jonah Goldberg.
0: Both of them pushed us into the Iraq yeah, war.
1: Stephen Hayes wrote a his, book. Yeah. His claim to fame was writing a book called The Connection about the fake Saddam Hussein um, right. hijackers, nine eleven, Al-Qaeda connection, which of course was totalized. He also Total, totalized. wrote a hagiography of Dick Cheney for the record. God. And this guy wasn't misinformation. There were no boycots about him.
0: Nobody made a peep except breaking points in David Sroda and me. Right. Nobody, <laughs> said an- nobody said
1: said anything. I, Glenn probably said some things oh, about sure. it too. Canada yeah, but I mean, in, terms of, <laughs> in terms of mainstream coverage, no, Chuck Todd was out there. I think he sent me the tweet of him celebrating him as like a principled journalist who's fair and reasonable. It's like Yeah, these people were so much more damaging than Joe Rogan could ever hope to be. And they're not only not censored, not subject to accountability, they're elevated to even higher heights of power.
0: So I'm actually going to go one step further than you on, on, you know, the... The democratic point, the mm-hmm. democracy point of like, you know, yeah. her argument is like, well, now we democratically we're trying to hold these companies accountable and whatnot, because I think Stewart's point really overrides that and is a debate ender because Stewart's point is, look, during the the lead up to the Iraq war, the fever pitch in this country for war was overwhelming. Bush had a 90 percent approval rating at one point mm-hmm. and they were pushing this propaganda at the top of their lungs. And there were very few people who would speak out against it. And everybody who did speak out against it was sort of punished. Like Phil Donahue, for example, kind of lost his show. Chris Hedges. As a result of this. Chris Hedges, same thing. So Jon Stewart's point is like, even if you, like, democratically controlling speech That's not a good idea. There's a reason why speech is in the right category, Mm -hmm. constitutionally protected right category, because you need to be allowed to speak, even if you're saying things that are massively unpopular. And his point was, what I was saying was incredibly unpopular at the time, and the democratic will of the people would have said, if you gave if these companies existed at the time and you gave them the control to do whatever with speech, they would have all gone after the anti-war voices. Mm -hmm. That's not even controversial. I think that's like a straightforward historical fact. You don't need to, you know, do any leaps of logic or connect any weird dots to come to that conclusion. Look at
1: the Dixie Chicks. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I, I, I can't find a way around that point. So anybody who's on the other side of this debate, I'm sorry, you're just wrong. Like I don't see a way around that point that, who the hell is going to do the so-called fact-checking? Seriously, there is nobody who is perfectly objective. And I know we've gone through the list a thousand times over, but guys, you really got to think about this stuff. So many people who are in the official circles, whether it's, you know, uh, the World Health Organization or the CDC or the FDA, were wrong about a lot of stuff involving COVID early on. Like, okay, so when they say things that are wrong, how many times do I have to say something wrong before you say, you know what, CDC, you're not allowed to talk on our on our platforms, right? right? Like, you're just going to pull the CDC from it because they've been objectively wrong about even four, five, six, seven things and right. wrong in a big way? That doesn't make any sense. Think about when, um, remember when the, the leaks came out from WikiLeaks on the DNC stuff where showing the, the way the sausage was made and how Bernie was screwed and they were doing everything to undermine him in 2016. You remember that? Yeah. It was the people who talked about those factual leaks who were called, you're spreading misinformation. And, yeah. and the argument was, well, maybe Julian Assange got this from Russia, so now you're doing Russian propaganda. In the Russia and Ukraine debate right now, I the, my up, perspective yeah. on it would be totally banned. They would just be like, you're not allowed to say the thing you're saying because you're doing apologetics for Russia, and he's an authoritarian leader, Putin is, and so you're not allowed to say this stuff. This is misinformation. Well, this is Jen disinformation. You've got to go.
1: Jen Psaki used that line against a reporter on Air Force One who was asking— For, you know, for more backup. This is what Ned Price did, right? He was he was getting pressed about their allegation, which may be true. I don't know, but they should show some evidence of it. But that they had this whole the Russia has this whole plan of a false flag thing and a video and crisis actors and whatever. And Ned Price insinuated that the fantastic reporter, journalist who was pressing him on this, that like, oh, well, how dare you not? How dare you believe the Russians over the U.S. government? And it's an attempt to just smear people as like unpatriotic. And so you can see very easily how this would be routinely used against anti-war protesters in particular.
0: So what I want to do is to get people to imagine exactly the point you just made, but now take it to its logical conclusion. Any time, like the whole Ned Price video, what if they said, we're banning that, we're not allowing that on any of the social media platforms because you're spreading Russian disinformation? Right. What if it was taken off of YouTube, it's taken off the media, taken off of, media, I, taken off of Twitter, taken off of Instagram, whatever? Right. We're just going to take it off all those things because I think you're spreading Russian disinformation and our fact checkers have determined that that is what you're doing. And so now you're just not allowed to talk about it. Guys, this is the world that people are like begging for when it comes to sometimes people saying dumb things, stupid yeah. things, malicious things. Look, I have zero love for Malone and McCullough and the stuff that they spread. In fact, I think a lot of the stuff they spread is misinformation and it is damaging. But if you wanna take this approach, you're shooting yourself in the dick.
1: Yeah, and the part of it that is really also nefarious is that you, through this sort of sleight of hand, they've channeled activist energy, people who wanna do something, they wanna be engaged, they wanna be part of this democracy, and rather than that going into any kind of like collective struggle, instead it's going into these cancellation quests,
0: literally, which yeah.
1: are all ultimately about not even that content or that person, but are about begging the people who already have more pow- have power to claim more power. Yeah. that's what they're. That's what the activist impulses of a lot of you know liberals and and progressives in the country have been like channeled into begging the powerful to claim more power. It's a sad state of affairs. It
0: really is a sad state of affairs. And I know so many people would say, I'm sure. I don't, you know, I can't read the criticism with my thin ass skin, but I'm sure so many people would say, like, oh, you're just, just because it's Rogan, you're saying, oh, I've defended, defended... I defended Ann Coulter having the right to speak at a college campus, and I think she's a demon.
1: I defended you know? just last week, Whoopi Goldberg and Dan Bongino. So,
0: and Bongino, Jeez,
1: That's a rough one. <laughs> a rough one. <laughs> yeah. But he, you know, right. You got to be yeah. consistent here. So, yeah, I mean, listen, there's no doubt about it. And John acknowledges this in his thing, too. He's like, I know Joe. And so, yeah. That means that I see him as a three-dimensional human being and not this flat, ridiculous caricature that he's been made into. And there's no doubt that, like, of course, we know Joe. We like Joe. We think he has good intentions. He's been supportive of of both of our uh, projects that we're doing. But I also think if you look at our body of work, you will see a consistency in the standards we have applied, regardless of whether those were people we personally knew or liked or not.
0: Even if Joe was the caricature? I'd be saying the same things because it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I do not want there to be a ministry of truth or, you know, fact checkers uh, who get to ultimately decide who gets to speak and who doesn't, because again, who's going to fact check the fact checkers? And then who's going to fact check the fact checkers? Who fact check the fact checkers?
1: Was it Zed that brought up the um, 9-11 conspiracies, like the 9-11 truthers? Because that's the other piece of this is like, we sort of act like this is all brand new and oh, we're just figuring out how to deal with this, etc. But it's not new. I mean, yeah, the formats change and evolve over time. But in times when we felt a little more confident and secure as a democracy, we would allow you know people to right. have their little 911 conspiracy that's great theories. Point, Crystal. That's, and that's a good point. I, it's not my, I think it was that. That's I don't, I'm not sure, but anyway. They could have their little 9-11 conspiracy theories, and we didn't act like it was the end of the fucking republic. Well,
0: you, you know? know, I get it. Like, <laughs> most of the time, you are going to have a situation where it's, like, the battle of ideas and the better ideas went out, and they're self-marginalizing when they go down certain rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. That happens. And But every now and then, yeah, you do have a situation that pops up where it's, like, maybe the worst idea appears to be winning or, like, it's close, and then everybody's uncomfortable with that. But, like, my response to that is work harder. Do a better job. Because, you know, I if every single time somebody talked about Rogan in the way that mainstream media talks about Rogan, if instead of doing that every time, you just had a list of the direct quotes of the shit that... Mac- you know Malone no and McCullough fucking, said you fact fucking, checked it. They're just
1: way too lazy to do it. I mean that's the thing is like yeah they are. You're right. Yeah. You
0: guys did it. You guys had on a doctor who was like, look, here's where they're wrong. Here's the few areas where they're right, but overall they're wrong. Here's why. Here, they're let wrong.
1: me go through claim by claim. There were people who did this on YouTube. Another also YouTube that's right who, who did went it. through claim by claim. I also think about you know the reaction to um, the election c- conspiracy theories, the whole stop the steal nonsense, and you know we went through. You did. Probably that's boring right. as fuck for the audience, but we. went through every single lawsuit that had been filed and was like, here's what they claimed, here's what the finding was, here are many how many votes that would even impact, even if it happened, and tracked that over the the course of time. So it wasn't you had people who had genuine mistrust and, you know, were susceptible to believing what was, you know, totally a bunch of nonsense. And rather than just hand-waving, it's all nonsense, we felt like, okay, what if we just go through these line by line and engage with it and try to help dispel some of the myths? That's why nobody any longer believes in Stop the Steal, Kyle. We did it.
0: Wait, no, but (laughs) hold on, hold on. You're selling yourself short here because you have an audience that's much more ideologically diverse than my audience. My audience is pretty clearly left-leaning. Your audience is, I don't know what the percentages are, but maybe 40% right-wing or something yes, like that. Yeah, right. uh, Or, you know, m- they're more enlightened centrist in your audience and my audience, yada, yada, all that stuff. But because you and Sagar took the time to do that, to, like, meticulously debunk the ridiculous claims that were coming out of people like Rui Giuliani and Sidney Powell or Sidney Powell, Lynn, Powell, Lynn something, whatever. <laughs> Lynn they're all Cindy idiots, Powell, yeah. right? But you took the time to do that, and now your audience, even the people who are right and leading in your audience, none of them are buying Stop the Steal. So it worked in your
1: little corner of the internet. Yeah, and that's all I can that's and all, that's we all can you do. can do. But, and, I mean, by that's way, so much more effective than just... And you
0: don't get credit for it either. Nobody's, the media doesn't stop and look at that and go, well, that seemed to work. Maybe we should try that with some of the people or things that we don't like. Right. They don't do that. Because, like you said, that actually required uh, focus and attention and... Concern for detail, care took for time. detail, it took time, took
1: preparation. I remember you talking
0: to me about it at the time, like we, we kind of went through this whole thing. And- <laughs> it took and- like
1: thir- it was like a thirty-minute segment that we went through all of them. But you know, but I also feel really good that we did that. Even you know, it was the limited impact that we can have. Anyway, the whole point is, it's so much better to if you have something that is in the ecosystem that is wrong, that is dangerous, that is inaccurate. It's so much better to. Show people the respect of actually engaging with it and explaining, here's the reality, here's what's wrong. Because otherwise you also just feed into this narrative that has worked very well for Trump and has worked very well for Malone and McCullough of like, they just don't want you to hear this information. So they just have to censor it because we're telling the truth and we're speaking power to the man and whatever. And so when you just have that reaction of like, shut it down. That that fuels them. That feeds their narrative. That only bolsters and aids them. Sort of a
0: Streisand effect type thing. You're right. Totally, totally. Anyway. All right, guys. So let's go ahead and jump into the interview now. We got Felix from Chapo Trap House with us. Enjoy. Felix, welcome to the show, man. Really happy to talk to you. We've been rolling in the same circles for a while, but never been uh, face-to-face or anything. Um, as I was saying just before, as we were off air, I'm such a big fan of your Twitter account because I— So many times I don't understand what you're saying, but I also enjoy it, and I don't know why. Um, (laughs) I'll not understand, like, a bunch of different parts of the tweet, but it still makes me laugh. (laughs) Um, Let's start a little bit with, like, Chapo Trap House. When uh, did—obviously, phenomenally popular podcast, and I feel like there's a, a connection between, you know, my YouTube channel and your podcast, because we sort of rode a similar wave with the Bernie movement and stuff when did Chapo trap house start what was the the genesis of it and and just give everybody the background on that
3: um chapo trap house i guess the combination of the original three people uh that started in um i think like december 20 2015 on street fight um it's, it was, yeah, me, Matt, and Will, and we didn't really know each other that well, but the listeners of Street Fight, which is a great podcast, uh, you know, shout out Brett and Brian. They just, you know, people liked all three of us and had never really heard us together. And I had heard Will before, and I thought Will was, like, very, very good on the mic in a way that not a lot of people at the time were good at it. And Matt, I didn't really know, but, like, I thought he was thought he was really smart, thought he was really funny on Twitter. And we just... You know, for for the very untrained people, we gelled really well together and people asked us to do our own thing. And of course, uh, you know, like four months later in the twilight of the Bernie 2016 campaign, we did. And, you know, this is all like very marginal shit on Twitter at the time in 2014 through 2016. Uh, we thought like 500 people from Twitter would listen to it. Uh, that it would just be this fun thing to do because, you know, Will was Will was an editor. Matt was doing, like, temp work. I was, like, a freelance MMA journalist. And it would just be this, like, fun shit we did because people liked us. Like, who knows? So we So We gave it this stupid-ass name. But then it just, I mean, it, it really just, like, blew up from the beginning. And it's, I think, yeah, us and you and, like, most people in the circle, we kind of... I feel like picked up that momentum around that time. And I mean, with, with us personally, I, it's really, really incredible how much people supported it from the beginning. You know, we make fun of our fans a lot, but we're incredibly grateful to them, like how much they've supported this from the get-go.
1: To me that you didn't know each other that well. That surprises me because I just assumed that you were like longtime friends. I didn't really know the origin story, but that was what made sense to me, especially because um, a co-host relationship is a very like intimate bond and you're taking a real risk when you're, you know, when you're doing any sort of media product with another human being. So it's um, incredibly fortunate that that's worked out. And for the number of years that it's worked out, what was like the original concept and what do you think it was other than just the timing of the Bernie campaign that um clicked with people? Cause obviously there were a lot of other media ventures that were launched in the generally left sphere at that point that didn't take off and have the same salience that you guys did.
3: I mean, really if I'm going to guess what accounted for so, so much early success, I would say that it was a, uh, Because it was a show that was from the jump uh openly stupid and mean
1: and there just
3: wasn't there wasn't enough stuff like that like people want that and no one was no one was giving it to them you know i think yeah democracy now does great work all these things that have been around for a minute they've done great work but people people are regardless of how good a person someone is regardless of how good an organizer they may be regardless of what their personal morality will be. They are one way, you know, in that political sphere, in in that organizing space and in parts of their professional lives. And maybe they should be. They're another way when they're in a group chat. And they're just, there needed to be something that reflected that.
0: Yeah. So I think you got, you do sell yourself short a little bit though, because I always felt like you guys were, Incredibly insightful and funny, but yeah, it could manifest. Some might Some people with, you know, polite society, civility, manners might look at that and be like, "Oh, this is mean, and I I don't like it."
1: Well, and I would definitely object to the stupid part. Oh yeah, no, 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 definitely not stupid. Maybe the mean is debatable, but stupid definitely not. Yeah,
0: no, I think all you guys are are low key like brilliant people. Um, what what was it like? Because this is something I noticed a few times. I, I don't I don't think I ever really dove into the articles in much detail but i noticed there were at least what two three different hit pieces on you guys right talk a little bit about which media outlets did hit pieces on you guys and what your reaction to it was
3: um i would the first thing that people called a hit piece i would say is the gia tolentino profile in the new yorker i didn't really find it Tremendously unfair, like there are there are things in there where it's like, OK, you know, we didn't exactly say that or that isn't interpreted in the most generous way. And she called it. I think the worst thing, you know, there's shit she got wrong in there where she says that, like, you know, we called Hillary Clinton a bitch or something. <laughs> it's like I don't like. Yeah, you know, those, those early episodes were like some of them are crazy. We, we did not do that. But I. Uh, the worst thing she said was she called Matt Stout, which is Matt's taller than me. You know, That that that's not really fair. <laughs> but, uh, like, I would say, what is the one, the one right after that was Rebecca Tracy. And she took, uh, something that I had said on our immediate episode right after Hillary had lost and had said that, um, this thing I this thing I said about you know the functionaries of the de- uh, Democratic party the consultants uh the media buyers uh you know calling them weak entitled freaks and she said <laughs> the Democratic party I know which is you know black grandmothers and single moms and like gay dads is it oh are you calling them freaks and it's it's like no I'm talking about James Carville Right. But it was right. this yeah. entire article built off this premise. And you know, at the time I was like 25 and it freaked me out. And if I the you just you don't I was used to like, you know, people I hated hating me online since I was like twelve. That was just the type of person I I was. But it's a different thing when it's someone that your like family reads. Right. Mm. But, yeah. Mm-hmm pretty quickly we got used to it and by the time that like you know we were in <laughs> the front page of the new york times you know uh, rude like rude shitty podcast in, in 2020 it was like ah you know i've been through this before Whatever.
1: yeah yeah so it doesn't so you feel like you're you've become acclimated to the attacks from the liberal media it doesn't bother you as much now
3: oh yeah no i think um one thing I do hate like generally in all online media is when people who make their thing, you know, being like making fun of people's appearance and like attacking people and yeah, being, being mean and stupid as we sometimes are, as we like to be, uh, when they do that and they like freak out when they get hit back. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty proud of us that we've not really done that uh, maybe, maybe at the start, maybe I, maybe I unconsciously did that a few times just because it was, you know, it's one thing when you imagine it, it's a different thing when it's happening to you, but it is, I think pretty quickly we are like, all right, well, this is what we're putting out there. This is what we're going to get back.
0: You know? Yeah. But you know what you guys, I, I don't know if I've ever seen you in drama with other like podcasters or creators. It's always like punching up, which to me is the most respectful kind of punching, and to your point about, like, it became real when it was people who your family read, you know, I, I've told you this story before, but, like, my mom, for example, she had, she never cared about any of the, of the stuff that I did or who I talked to or aspects of my show. Yeah. The one time that it actually pierced through her, you know, polite society bubble was when they showed, like, literally a three or four second clip of me on 60 Minutes. <laughs> it was about, you know, some politician, <laughs> some politician who, like... I don't know. Adopted a kid and then like sold the kid back or some shit. And I there's a little clip of me saying yeah. like, "Well, what the fuck did you sell him on eBay?" And they took that clip and ran it. My mom called me and she told all of her friends and it was. And then you know that's when it occurred to me too. Like yeah, the only time I would really feel it is once polite society starts going after you because yeah. then that's the propaganda that sort of sinks in and works. And it's kind of it's similar to what's going on with Rogan, even though Rogan's obviously a zillion times bigger than us.
1: Yeah, yeah. What have you made about uh, the whole? rogan situation and also how it's unfolded because it's felt very kind of like um it hasn't felt entirely organic although now there's certainly you know a lot of organic outrage about it but you started with the okay he's platforming these anti-vaxxers and it's misinformation he apologizes for that and that sort of seems to be dying down and then the ground quickly shifts to no actually the problem is he's a racist and so and that was the thing that ended up getting legs what have you made of all of that
3: I have a, uh, I wouldn't really say they're complicated feelings on Rogan. I have, uh, I, I listened to Rogan a lot, Uh, you know, like 10 years ago uh, when I was in college and stuff. I, I loved it when he would have, uh, I don't know. I don't know how much you guys listen, but like, I used to love Graham Hancock. Do you remember that guy?
0: Yeah. So, yes, I, I he's know. Like, he's
3: like a, a yeah.
1: Kyle's yeah. more religious. Graham Hancock
3: than is probably. like. I'm not religious with it, but-
0: Yeah, gra- you've listened yeah. to more than I do. Dude th- thinks like Atlantis is real and- Oh, like, wow. yeah, Go ahead, yeah. I'll let you explain, Felix. You know more than me about this.
3: No, yeah. No, that's that's like the all you need to know.
1: He's <laughs> okay. perfect.
0: But like,
3: my, my, my point is I used to love Rogan because for the most part, you had like a mix of very interesting cranks, but then like legitimate scientists and uh, really good, really funny comedians. You would have like actually great comedians yeah. on there. And it was just it, it was you know you you're listening to four hours you're not intently listening but while you're like cleaning up your apartment or doing whatever it was nice to have on I um in the last few years he's had you know the lowest of the low people who write articles uh, and that has been unfortunate I think that's been an unfortunate turn but yeah I mean I I agree with what you said Crystal that I I don't think it's entirely organic you know, this backlash. I, I mean, people knew the score with this guy always, right? People knew that he was edgy and that he he said this shit. Like, th- these, this shit's gone around before, everyone knew. It's just, you know, for CNN and everything, they need to cover this because there's no Trump figure. There's, they're getting decimated in, in ratings uh he's a good foil for them yeah i think his vaccine shit is stupid and it's, yeah, it's I agree. very funny yeah it's it's fun. like kyle you know like if you listen to him 10 years ago he was like you, you know he was like a i i fucking love science guy he he hated anti-vaxxers and then and now it's like you now you have to be like against this vaccine because like li- liberals are annoying or something but right, i i yeah. I mean, I mean, what, like, whatever. Who gives a shit? I mean, honestly, if that's the main thing you care about, a, you know, CNN has as much to answer for, if not more, for the way that they covered breakthrough cases last summer, and, uh, you know, if, if your main focus is disinformation and containing this, then you should want him to be on a paywall on Spotify. You know, he's mm. he's he's accepted a premium for limiting his audience. Mm. that's an, that's, interesting, that's an point. interesting point and i never thought of that
0: yeah i just don't to your point i guess one of the reasons why i was caught off guard by a lot of this stuff is because yeah like you said i've been listening to it for a long time not religiously but fairly often mm-hmm. and i yeah i knew all this stuff was out there in fact the whole planet of the apes joke that came out it was alex jones who resurfaced that recently when he was in like a two-week feud with rogan before they met behind closed doors and and made up yeah so like Jones resurfaced that. When Jones resurfaced it, everybody was on Rogan's side because they're like, well, Alex Jones is obviously a way bigger piece of shit than Joe Rogan is.
1: Well, I thought, then- <laughs> thought Charlemagne the God's point was um, interesting, too, because he was like, Spotify knew all this. Like, this was all out there when they signed the deal, too. That's
0: why it feel so fake to me. It's, right. Yeah, so for them it's so to now be, all, oh, we're going to do
1: better, and we're so sorry, and we've had these. It's like— he Okay, you, Rogan
0: had on— You wanted
1: to make—like, you knew what it was. You knew what you're getting into, so there it is.
0: So I'm going to tell you what the next scandal is going to be. You ready for this? Felix, you might know about this. I don't think many other people know unless they've been listening for a long time. There was a time Joe Rogan entertained some crank-ass doctor who thought AIDS was fake. And he did a podcast yes. with him. Oh, no, God. I remember this. Oh God. and he's gonna the media in like three seconds is gonna drop that fucking clip, and then Spotify's gonna get a whole nother round of pressure. And then Joe's gonna release his eighteenth apology.
1: Patriot takes in that uh, Democratic <laughs> super <laughs> yeah. pack or whatever that was that was circulating the n word one. They're digging that up right now. <laughs> but
0: people can't people I don't know why people can't just accept shit for what it is. just like Felix said. like every time I listen to the Graham Hancock episodes or the whatever all the, all those sorts of people, I'm half listening, half not. And I'm like, Probably sounds like bullshit, but at least, you know, whatever. It's interesting to hear this shit.
1: Yeah. People can't just take that. You know, I think your point, which is an obvious one in a certain way, but I hadn't really thought about, um, that they're just so desperate for anything to talk about with Trump gone is also, I think, a really important one. Like the why now question. And it's you look at their ratings. They're totally trash. You know, they have... They don't know how to engage in any sort of um, intelligent way with this administration or substantive policy issues. They have no idea, like they're, they're lost in the wilderness with regards to what their own countrymen might actually like or care about. And so this is like an easy personality driven, like culture war nonsense thing that they can, you know, use to, to convince people that they're still relevant.
3: Yeah, no, and I do, I mean, look, like for a lot of the people who are, because this is like, yeah, no, this is, this started as like a media thing, but yeah, there are people who are like legitimately mad at Rogan, and that is entirely their right, whether you're mad at him for like, yeah, the Planet of the ape shit, which completely makes sense to be mad at him for that, or the vaccine thing, I mean, with the vaccine thing, I think we're in this very weird spot where no one no one's really happy about the policy outcomes with covid right it seems like no one has won in any meaningful sense there's something for everyone to be upset about um just just because of how you know fucked up our institutions are how hard it is to get like any type of centralized ruling how divorced some results seem from the policy in either direction and you know last year if you're if you're more on like the you know pro vaccine side of things you know i like i felt last year when the vaccine everyone could get it i was like oh i mean like yeah we're always going to have people who are going to be holdouts but what that's going to be like 80 it's going to be like 80 percent of people are going to get it this year like everyone wants the to end and then you you see how shitty vaccine coverage has been and how, you know, this, like everything else, is this just shitty thing that never ends, that, as everything in America, every bad new thing in America adds a new bit of, like, security theater and humiliation to American life. Mm. Uh, There's obviously, like, a horrific loss of life, and, you know, the policies seem to kind of accommodate no one, really. Yeah. Um, You do you do like want to look for someone to play. And I don't really think Rogan is a singular author of every anti-vaxxer, everyone who's a holdout. Like honestly, I don't. I don't know if you guys know Alex Nichols, uh, lone option, but he said, uh, "Oh yeah," you know, sarcastically. He said, uh, "Oh yeah, we need to ban Rogan from Spotify so we could increase vaccination in 22-year-old gym goers by 0.1 percent and make them all lifelong Republicans." But it's. I do. I do get it. I do generally get being frustrated with how everyone's going. Everything is going, and looking for a target. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't fully agree. With, right. I don't fully agree with it. But it's like, I get it. You know, I'm I, sympathetic to it. I feel like nobody
0: trusts any institution anymore. And that's probably, you know, for good reasons, people feel like at every level of government, every level of the official world, corporate world, uh, like everybody's full of shit. Everybody's looking out for themselves. And. Since that's the world we live in where it feels so dog-eat-dog and you're on your own and individualism and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, what happens is any sort of faith in institutions is now replaced with just like, who do I feel is being most honest and authentic with me. I'm just going to latch on to that. And that's why Rogan has such a giant appeal. Right. And why, you know, sometimes people turn to genuinely the wrong place to get important information. Because, again, I don't agree with the vaccine shit at all that came out of McCullough and Malone's.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, I think there's also something to the fact that people's legitimate political desires have been so routinely frustrated that there's just, like, a giving up on the possibility of any kind of collective action. So then politics turned towards, like... The personal, how do I, you know, portray, like, well, the society's shitty, but I'm a good person. I'm on the right side of these issues, and let me draw the lines about, like, other people who are in the space and who's the good person, who's the bad person. So it collapses into this almost, like, individual bootstrap version of politics when it seems like all of the, you know, means for actually meaningful collective action, all of those doors feel effectively closed.
3: Yeah. I mean, everyone... The the two facets of American cultural life now are, you know, everyone is in a constant competition to see, you know, who who deserves most sympathy. That's everyone does that. I don't I don't I don't care what everyone is doing it. You know, people typically think of that as like a lib thing. But no, it's the, it's the main American thing that you should feel bad for me. Mm. But also, everyone kind of has, like, a Joe Rogan, like a, a risable media figure that they can pin all this shit on. <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah, no. there There's with, uh, I like that um, lives of TikTok Twitter account because yeah. it's like, it, it, it's like there's some shit on there where it's like, oh, yeah, this is, I see why you clip this. This is ridiculous or this is funny. But then there's other shit where it's like, you know the person will post uh <laughs> you know a teacher with dyed hair and and the caption will be like what what happened to this country <laughs> yeah that's, that's why that's why everyone that's why everyone hates each other and they're they're that's why everyone hates each other and there are all these overdose deaths and people aren't having kids anymore and they're fucking killing themselves because of like you know, the 1619 project or whatever, <laughs> which I, I, I think that that's probably conservative Joe Rogan, right? Because it's like people have pointed out that it's like, you know, historians have been like, this isn't like the best history or whatever. And like, obviously, like the shell sponsorship and all this shit. <laughs> but like Joe Rogan on the conservative side, you could you could point to Nicole Hannah-Jones and you could point to, to that and be like, oh, like that's why everyone feels like shit. Because, mm. <laughs> so mm. like, everyone's, be- yeah, everyone's being told that th- this country is bad from this thing that's been out for, like, a year.
0: Yeah, but so to what extent, uh, that's a brilliant point, but to what extent, because I do think, to some extent, you blame the people for this. Because, you know, I'm looking back yesterday on my numbers from my show yesterday. The two most important stories I did were Rand Paul basically saying, let's let Afghan, Af- Afghan starve. He, he, you know, in no uncertain terms, he was like, should we release the $9 billion that is their own money back to them to prevent the starvation of, like, millions of people, including women and children? And he was like, nah, you know, we can't really afford it, and, you know, like, the Taliban, and what are you going to do? Really? So that was one of the things I covered. Another thing I covered was Starbucks— uh, was that
1: the interview with Ryan Graham? Yes.
0: So another one I covered was Starbucks caught illegally union busting. Those two videos, one got 26,000 views, the other one got 17,000 views, but then, like, video on Rogan, 102,000, like— Video on Jordan Peterson going after Trump seventy six thousand. It's like, to some extent, yeah, it's the institutions to blame because they've rotted so much, and you know nobody knows who to trust or where to go. But on the other hand, it's like now there does seem to be this individual agency problem where people can't focus on big issues more so than just the personality claptrap bullshit.
1: Mm. What do you think of that, Felix? Um, I.
3: I don't know I I don't really blame people that much because it's it's hard to you know if you're a voting age person especially if you're like over 30 it's hard to look at the uh past 30 or 40 years of this country and feel like you can have that much of a substantial substantive impact as an individual person with national politics at least and you know everyone says you know look at you look at look at your local elections look at your aldermen, and i agree with that but it's tough to it's a tough refrain for people to keep hearing when they feel everything is getting worse all the time and it is um i you know politics in america is for the most part just another stupid cultural spectacle and it is the you know it's the realm of sickos and freaks <laughs> that, that is the conception and that's mostly the truth and so you know if people's engagement with it is just the most explosive and uh, to them interesting cultural issues as part of politics I do get that I I I really wish that you know your average person was uh, you know cared more about you know people in prison or yeah the money we are robbing from Afghans, the uh, murder every day that the empire commits, everything. But it's it is hard to you know tell people who have to worry about so many things that most of us who you know let's let's be honest we do we do uh, emails and, and shit for a living. We barely remember uh, worrying about. Um, especially when it feels like, well, why worry about this? What, what change could I ever affect? Mm. I do, I am sympathetic to that. I mean, i always, yeah, no, we'll always, like, make fun of the shit that people care about and, you know, the, the way that they put things. But it is hard for me to, to actually, like, get mad at just a normal person, even if the shit they believe, I find it, you know, totally stupid. It, it's hard for me to completely blame them or feel any real anger at them.
1: Yeah. I watched an interview uh, with you on the Jackman shows maybe like a year ago. Um, and you had a comment about how the millennials were the generation that were like promised a future and then didn't get one. And you asked the question of what's what happens now with a generation that was never promised a future mm. <laughs> and didn't get one. And I mean, what do you what do you think is the answer to that? What does that look like in terms of their engagement with politics?
3: I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. It's sort of a hard, uh, it's a hard f- uh, focus group we have right now, because it initially seemed like they were going to be able to pour, pour themselves into something, you know, the Bernie twenty twenty campaign. But they may have, they may have gotten their spine ripped out w- way quicker than millennials did. Yeah. You know, than than we did with Obama. It took some of us like a, a little while to sort of process what had happened uh with them that was pretty instant and i i really it's hard for me to really figure out how they're going to take it and you know yeah uh there is that special aspect that they didn't they weren't promised a baby boomer future they have never known a world that had anything but gig economy bullshit, and you know uh mountains of debt and complete degradation, the, the, the two-tiered American wage labor system, where you're either a completely invisible person, or you are sort of precarious, downwardly mobile, middle class. And the thing that keeps you in line is the threat that you could be turned into an invisible person, you know, a DoorDash guy, or the guy who has to spray the fucking shelves at CVS. Um, that That is all they have known. And who who knows what that'll turn them into?
1: I also, I think, really don't know. And I also think it's not just that reality; it's the 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 bubble, the idea of like, well, things may not be great now, but they're just going to continually getting better because that's what we do in America. Like that bubble has been completely burst, and so instead of looking at like all right, we're going to have a positive trajectory, and I'm going to be able to eventually get a house, I'm going to have a kids, and life is going to be better for my kids than it is for me. Now it's like, oh, what am I bringing you know, these future human beings, what am I bringing them into the world? The, the assumption is the exact opposite, that things are going to continue to fray and deteriorate and fall apart. It,
0: it stems from being burned so many times, too. Like, that's, that's the thing, at least for millennials, probably. Like you said, Gen Z had their spine ripped out sooner. But, like, for millennials, it stems from being burned so many times, whether it's what happened with Bernie and the DNC screwing him. Or, I mean, a perfect example that's just in the news now is the Gavin Newsom thing, where he's like, unequivocally, I want single-payer health care in California. He said it a bunch of times. It was very clear. Yeah, he's and then
1: mocking other politicians Mocking other politicians. walk away from it. Yeah. And then
0: it gets to his desk, and he's like, single-payer? I don't know what single-payer is. I don't know what y'all are talking about. And then it just dies. And so when you're burned over and over and over and over and over, yeah, you don't want to uh, play another hand. You know, It's like with relationships. If somebody's been in seven relationships, and every single one ended disastrously. After a while, they're like, you know, maybe I'm not cut out for this. And when you have a whole generation thinking about that with politics, it's like, well, there are massive downsides to that. Because the other thing is you sort of, you're defeatist by accident. Like you accidentally just let the keys stay with the, rotted goblins who are making all the decisions right now you know
1: yeah that we'll, is true. we'll
0: have a 92 year old president soon <laughs> or something like that you know
1: how are how are the biden years uh treating you felix what are you thinking so far
3: kind of kind of early to say um i don't know um i will say just going back to that last thing a little bit i do not want to come off as like unequivocally doom and gloom we never really want to do that or you know portray more misery than there is uh i think if the last five or six years can show us anything it's you know yes things can always be worse than what you imagined but there is always always uh possibilities for things that you never imagined and you will this world will make an asshole out of you if you try to predict everything one way or the other and you know, when I say it's unknown and the future is unknown, and how uh, you know Gen Zers will respond to this, how the people after them will respond, uh, you know, I'm not saying, oh, I don't know. They could be maybe, maybe they do the next QAnon, but when they're young and they're the only generation of young people to vote, I don't know. That could happen, but they could also they could also have a completely different uh, response that any than any living American generation. They could, uh, you know, I. there's been obviously a lot of misery and awful shit in the last six years. But I think there's also been some good signs. Uh, that they're, you know, the tight labor market, quote unquote, has been sort of blown up. And it's kind of a bullshit thing in some ways. But in general, I do feel like American workers are displaying more self-respect than I have ever seen them able to display in a very long time, maybe in my entire lifetime. yeah, uh, and I, I do think that's generally a very positive thing. I mean, the fight for your union unionization uh, in an economy where everything is owned by like five companies is incredibly difficult. But just in general, I do feel like Americans have more self-respect than I've maybe seen them with in quite a long time.
1: I think it also says something about a sort of um, cultural shift, um, because obviously the key of any union effort is the concept of solidarity. It's a collective concept, which is totally different than the the dominant direction of America over you know the past forty years, probably even even more than that, um, and so. Even the act of saying like, no, actually, I can't bootstrap this myself. And actually, it's not my fault that, you know, I'm unable to afford rent or have health care or ever aspire to be able to own a home or do the things that are supposed to be the core of the American dream. And in fact, the only answer to this isn't me getting a fourth job or working harder and grinding more. It's in solidarity with these people around me. And that strikes me as a fairly radical break from the propaganda that Americans have by and large bought over the course of our lifetimes.
3: Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I don't wanna offer like unfettered, uh, unrealistic optimism, but there, there could be like a genuine sea change that we are seeing there. And I think that itself is very exciting. Because if it, I don't know, if if there's one thing that we should have uh, picked up from the second go around for Bernie 2020, it should be that uh, those of us who are the sickos and freaks who, you know, mainly consume politics and mainly follow this, we had very little concept of what Americans thought of themselves, what they thought of their own lives how they evaluated things I mean like I'm I'm not really one for issue polling I I think it's kind of useless and it never seems to be actually correct but it was it should have been a defining moment for people when you know multiple polls showed that Biden won Medicare for all supporters that should have been a tell that you know what 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 the regular non-voters that we needed what they were seeing was different from the world we thought they were seeing
1: Mm. But and maybe what, those things are starting you read to sync up a bit. What did you read into
3: that? Uh, I mean, I I I I read into it that they uh, I, it's tough because like issue polling so stupid and it again I think it very rarely works. But that you know with Medicare for all, we thought we have this like amazing policy with this amazing succinct name and it's very identifiable. But that maybe when people hear it they don't quite get what it is to the point that they're like, Oh, Medicare, the thing that like Joe Biden does, you know, like it's, 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 you're playing a game of telephone because these are like, these people aren't, you know, on their phones looking at this specifically 12 hours a day. They're not like so few, so few people in this country, like actually read articles or watch news just numerically. But What they were seeing. I I can't even really like guess what they're seeing. So I would
0: say I I disagree on issue polling. I actually think it's uh, I I like it and I think it's important. I think if it's done well, it can be very useful. But my takeaway from that exact fact is just Bernie (sighs) flopped miserably on the issue of electability. That's where Biden trounced him, is that this entire country was scared straight at the or you know, whatever, 55% of the country was scared straight at the prospect of another Trump term because the media whipped them up into that frenzy and made it seem when they cover Trump 24-7, like the demon that he is, then you're convinced I will literally anything in order to defeat this guy. And if you're telling me that the half zombie dead guy who can barely string a sentence together, who believes in nothing and still whispers sweet nothings into Strom Thurmond's ear, even though he's dead. Like, yeah. if this if this is the guy you're telling me I got to go with, then I'll go with him. I support uh, Medicare for all, but what am I going to do if you're telling yeah. me that Bernie can't beat him?
1: I think Taibbi is the one who talks about how voters have been turned into these little, like, mini-pundits trying to guess what, like, right. the, you know, Read Midwestern the steel worker is going to want in a candidate. And... um and also at the same time, are sort of like nihilistic about politics, and also don't really expect that. Let's say I vote for the person whose policies I really like. Number one, I've been persuaded that that person is going to lose. And number two, I don't really believe that even if they get elected, it's going to make that much of a difference. So, you know, since this dude is really awful and feels like an existential threat, let me just go with the person that the media is telling me that, you know, Midwestern steelworker dude wants to vote for. And I also think because you have such cultural bubbles and divides where you don't really have any direct connectivity with that theoretical voter, you just kind of have to take the media's word for it that, trust me, I promise what they really want is like this old guy who can barely talk and has been wrong on basically every issue in his career. I promise that's what they want
3: did uh, did either of you guys uh, in like 2018 wh- what did you think about Joe Biden like his his chances um i, I thought he was going to get to to
0: trout son i, I thought tr- trump would curb stomp him
1: oh you mean in ter- uh, in terms of his chances in a general election or his chances in the primary uh both both kind of so i always thought he'd be formidable in the primary um just because he's the former vice president because, you know, he could lay claim to the Obama legacy. And I know that that is still a very powerful thing in the Democratic Party. But I also had some insight into how bumbling his kind of inner circle is. I mean, he, the man is famously incompetent in terms of actually running an organization. And that proved to be true. It just he didn't actually need an organization in order to win, because once every other once the sort of establishment exhausted every other potential candidate, and they were left with Joe then you know everything flipped like that so i i definitely was hopeful during the primary i thought bernie really could pull it off this time you know the polls look so good and
0: man after nevada
1: yeah after oh. nevada i was like holy shit it's really yeah. going to it's really actually going to happen oh. um but i always thought that biden even as pathetic as his poll numbers were and as pathetic as his team was and his performance in iowa he was also the only person who had any support from non-white voters so it just didn't make sense to me that there was any other candidate in the field that was even any potential threat in the primary.
3: I thought in twenty eighteen, I I said he's going to beat Trump. Wow. Obviously, you know, I I, I wow. didn't I didn't hold on to that notion after seeing what he what he had deteriorated to in twenty nineteen you know, I was like, holy shit, I hope no one digs up when I said that. Look at this fucking guy. <laughs> but, like, you know, and and I always, I did think he was formidable for a, for a while, and you know, I obviously wasn't going, you know, during during the primary, while we were canvassing, while we were maxing out, while we were doing all this shit, I wasn't going to go, like, oh yeah, he's going to win. <laughs> he's going to win, and he's not, he's not only going to, like, win the primary, but he's going to, like, completely, like, invalidate all these things about uh, how he's going to lose to Trump. He's he's going to beat him. Um, you know, because, A, I didn't, at the time, I didn't feel, like, in, in February, I didn't feel that. And, you know, who, what what the fuck do you get for being right? You know, nothing. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I... In 2018, my thinking with him was unlike anyone else on the Democratic bench he seemed like he can at least pretend he likes talking to people convincingly yeah, yeah. who knows if he does or doesn't you know who who really knows but he t- could do that in yeah incredibly important thing he could approximate not just not just like being folksy or like telling a corny joke but like I honestly think, Like in retrospect, look fat was one of the most important things he ever did in his career. Yeah, Yeah, I'm serious. Like, I mean, just like
0: stupid son of a bitch was wonderful. It was his best moment in office. And he did that to to Peter Ducey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? You know what what I always thought was his greatest strength was, um, you know, the Obama people really like looked down on him as not being an intellectual. He didn't have the fancy like Ivy League degree. And he kind of had a chip on his shoulder about that because he had this older style of relationship politics, kind of what you're describing. And I always thought that that was kind of his greatest asset and his most hopeful characteristic was that he, like much of the population, felt sneered at by the sort of like Obama and Hillary Clintons of the world
3: yeah he's sort of the ultimate vindication of politics you know as we talked about it's just like interpersonal spectacle because while there is this you know maybe interpersonal drama that you know biden world doesn't like clinton world they're all fighting for pretty much the exact same thing maybe they disagree slightly on you know should we should we uh invade syria but for the it's they're really fighting for the exact same vision of the world uh But the the thing that we identified with biden and that we really narrowed in on after uh the afghanistan pullout is that you know i think there's a little bit with democratic primary voters i think that you're right with the taibi thing that they do turn into mini pundits because a democratic primary voter that is that is a sicko you know (laughs) i I am one i i was one so i i i can say that but it, it is a sicko obviously i i think the shortfall comes from the non-voters that uh the Bernie campaign felt to activate but i think with biden beyond just him approximating liking to talking uh, enjoying speaking with people or him seeing like an uh, seeming like an authentic guy or uh you know him being electable it is kind of what you just said obama world looked down on him because he is a loser like as much <laughs> of a loser as you can be while being you know, a 29-year-old senator. Whereas he has all these things that are very impressive when you put him on a sheet of paper. But he is, you know, he's had a life that's been a mix of, like, awful tragedies that no one should have to go through. And then other things that are completely his fault, like fucking plagiarizing Neil Kinnock being a punchline <laughs> for two decades. Like, Like, going from being a 29-year-old senator, this, like, handsome senator that everyone thought at least everyone in Delaware, was like, oh, this guy's going to be president to being probably one of the least respected people in the entire Senate for yeah. a really long time. Yep, that's right. And I feel like, yeah, I, I, I mean, who knows? I think it's sort of a useless exercise to try to get into the heads of every single American. But I do think for a lot of people, it's hard to have lived through all this and not feel like, kind of a loser and in the same in the same way that you know trump is a response to that oh we're gonna that there's bluster and he's oh you know he's he's like calling Bette midler ugly like i would uh <laughs> there with biden there's a similar thing where you're you're accepting that you lost you fucking ate it and this is the only guy that can get up there and be like hey we, we lost fun's over no one no one will ever believe obama as a loser because obama's never been on like the losing end of really anything in his life so you know, not not in his professional life rather yeah. it's hard to he can't be the guy who goes out there and is like uh hey sorry we're not gonna to, like pass this hey sorry we fucked up um or the empire isn't as strong your life isn't gonna be as good he always had to get up there and promise you things that he was never gonna work that hard on yeah uh, he would just water was, down his
0: shit until you know, it's republican shit and then pass it and then be like we won that's what he would yeah.
3: do yeah yeah so yeah but he could ne- he could never get down on one knee and look you in the eye and be like hey we lost right yeah it's he- like you 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 didn't lose well, with, he... with Joe at least i feel like for some people can be like oh yeah you you've you've lost your entire fucking life too
1: and obama what he would do is he would like like exempt himself from it and then he would like you know zoom out 30 levels and like look down on the failing nation and tell you what you did wrong <laughs> you know from from 30 so, feet above
0: i, I do want to Get back to your 2018 point, though, because I feel like I, I actually I disagree with both you a little bit. I think both of you, ironically, give him too much credit, even though feel like you just went on about how he's a massive loser, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I think the only way that Biden was able to pull it off and win was because of all the king's horses and all the king's men. So what happened was, and you guys remember this well, I called it like Bloody Monday or whatever day it happened on. It was when Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar dropped out on the same day, endorsed Biden, made a big spectacle of it. It's when the media media really learned, okay, it's either going to be Bernie or Biden. What happened? They took the knives out and went right for Bernie's jugular in that debate where everything's Fidel Castro, Cuba, you're an authoritarian, this and that. And so it took like... It took the coming together of the establishment media and the establishment Democrats at the last minute in order to really defeat Bernie. Oh, yeah. So I I actually think all the things that, that we look at now and we try to say, well, what is it that makes Biden a successful politician? I mean, there are things there for sure, but I think sometimes we overread that because the fact of the matter is homeboy was dead in the water unless he had so much help, which is why you saw it. Even with the Afghanistan thing, it's like, okay, he finally does something good. But then the media shits on him relentlessly. And, you know, all of a sudden, boom, the poll-, poll numbers drop like that. And it's like this guy doesn't have the ability on his own through his own
1: well, the thing merits
0: is, to build a narrative. Even
1: or- Obama didn't want it to be Biden. I mean, very obviously was like maybe Pete, maybe Beto, like maybe anyone else. Right. And and was quoted as saying, like, don't underestimate Joe's ability to fuck things up. Um and it was only after they had exhausted every like, All right, Kamala, that's not going to work. All right, you know, Amy, well, this isn't working out. Like all of these people. And of course, Beto dropped down early. Beto. And then the very last, the very last one was Pete and the writing was so clear on the wall cuz he got i think he got like
0: like 1% of black voters or something crazy yeah, yeah. nobody
1: mm-hmm. no black voters voted for him in south carolina and they're like this is not going to work and if you don't get out like bernie still has a shot at this thing and so it took them going down to that last moment when they were like ugh we have no other ch- choice but joe biden and you know the reason that joe ended up in that position which is the the piece I think I'm I'm giving him a little bit of credit for is because he did actually have some goodwill among some, you know, diverse demographic of the public where there was a clear path with like okay if we throw in with Joe if Obama makes the calls behind the scenes, this is this is the one that we can that we can have work out. It was
0: a who's next kind of deal like mm-hmm. the Republicans used yeah. to do. Like, remember Mitt Romney ran a few times and you didn't win. And then it's like, all right, it's your turn. Yeah, M- but they, McCain ran. It's yeah. like, all right, it's not your turn yet. And then it was your turn. Now mm-hmm. it's the same thing on the Democratic side, which is just stupid, stale thinking. Yeah, but they when Democrats win, it's like Obama comes out of nowhere. People are like, who the fuck is this guy? And then he wins.
1: I mean, Obama's the kingmaker in the party. And mm. he kind of has contempt for Joe. So he didn't – He it could have been much more like – Joe's the guy from the beginning, but Obama, I mean, a bunch of his staffers went to a uh, campaign. Go ahead, Felix.
3: Well, I mean, when was it not going to be the case that the deck would be stacked against Bernie? We always knew that was going to be the score going in. Yeah. And you know, if his campaign wasn't able to, uh, to, to go against that, to plan for it yeah to execute anything should have seen my again the non the the non-voters they needed then they did not deserve to win then they deserve to fucking lose the thing that we say about democrats all the time it is also true of that campaign unfortunately again just like that it's a shame who they have to fucking lose to but that's like it was always going to be unfair and you know frankly this time as he just talked about, where it was a scramble, where it was never supposed to be Joe, where it's all this shit. Okay, if that that holds, then we really, really deserve to lose because there was this unprecedented opening where Mm -hmm. uh, non-voters could have been picked up and undecideds could have been picked up and it was not done. And at the end of the day, yes, you know, uh, these unprecedented things happen and, you know, stuff like white suburbanite, South Carolinians rushing in to pump up Joe's margin uh you know Biden's base was actually like a, a lot wider through that home stretch than the media really gave credit for but at the same time people selected him more people selected him than the Bernie campaign was able to activate uninitiated people which was They always knew, we always knew, you always knew, was the only path. And, you know, we
0: I have plenty of criticisms of the Bernie campaign, and I was in contact with Bernie's campaign manager, literally like, here is a list of things you must do now that the tides have changed and the deck is stacked against you. And, of course... I don't know. I mean, look, who the fuck am I? I'm a random YouTuber. I wouldn't listen to a random YouTuber either if I was in Bernie's shoes. But whoever decided, like, let's do absolutely none of these things and just keep pretending like the deck isn't sacked against us now. Like, there are a million and one criticisms there. But it is also the case that in order to take it down, you needed, like, a totally compliant media that on the flip of a dime was instantly like, Joe Biden's wonderful! This guy's great! Three and a half minutes ago, everybody was pretending— not pretending, We're openly acknowledging the fact that his brain is failing— And then now all of a sudden it's like the man who could save us from Trump. And the only reason Biden won the general election, by the way, is because Trump became the perfectly distilled version of Donald Trump, which he dropped all of his pseudo populist tap dance garbage. Mm. And it just became like Fox News grandpa ranting in front of you every single night as a pandemic's ripping through the country. And he contradicts himself every seven seconds. And even then he barely, he barely (laughs) won. Biden barely won. That's the only reason why. And so Democrats now, you know, viewing looking at it like that what happened they did the Terry McAuliffe approach uh, Terry McAuliffe approach going forward which is like let's just keep running against Trump even though Trump's not even around anymore because that worked with Biden and of course it didn't work at all against Yunkin yeah. and so now they you know they're going to get trounced in the midterms for that reason
1: Felix how are, what are you your yeah. go ahead
3: Oh no um no, it's it's very funny that they tried that against Yunkin uh, yeah. literally a member of the Carlisle group like he isn't <laughs> immediately recognizable to everyone in fucking Nova like they don't they're like no i work with that guy we me and that guy made the hologram that hit the pentagon together just kidding <laughs> right? like so this joke does not reflect the views of uh, kyle and crystal this is a joke parody um yeah but mccall couldn't
1: McAuliffe that, couldn't hit him on that because he was an inv- himself an investor in the Carlisle yeah. group and
3: he also <laughs> worked that, on the pentagon
0: that
3: thing <laughs> Isn't that fucking perfect? They both they're both doing the exact same strip mining private equity shit that should be illegal. It's perfect. But uh, you know, I would just say very quickly, Kyle, to what you said about Trump giving up the populist shit. I, you know, I agree with you. It's a stupid move. Same time, this is just like the uh, you know, the the oh, the deck was stacked against Bernie. I mean if it wasn't stacked against him, then it would not be the thing that it is. It wouldn't be the thing we recognize and the mm. thing we knew it was going into it. Just like with Trump, yeah, if Trump was able to, like, stick to a coherent plan an entire time and not, you know, you know, as you correctly say, revert to Fox News grandpa, then he wouldn't be Donald Trump. That's who he is. That's who he always is. And he is like, he's, you know, not able to stick to stuff. He's uh he's at the end of the day like a conservative real estate guy <laughs> even if he does even if he is like clever enough to you know say shit about medicare and overdoses and all this shit while ultimately doing less than nothing that's still who he is and so he's always going to fuck that up no matter what yeah it's true. true
1: what is your view of the the left landscape right now and you know the possibilities that exist you mentioned the sort of um new uh, self-respect that american workers have been able to have which obviously is uh essential to any sort of left project um you know on the other hand uh things are pretty grim here in dc and bernie is you know off the table now and there's no clear successor candidate so how are you feeling about things
3: uh, I really think, uh, the, yeah, the main thing people should be looking at if they uh, want to feel a part of something and want to feel especially a part of something with some political valence is, yes, workplace democracy. That is That is what Americans have right now. Luckily, it is something that people are actually achieving success in. We've seen a lot of these Starbucks unions have been very successful uh, special shout out to the ones in Buffalo, New York who were uh, canvassing at our show and won their election. Oh, uh, no, yeah, it was it's it's yeah, it's these small local things a lot of the time, but they can give way to much larger things. and really it is it is kind of the only way forward right now. if you you know want to try again, this vision of the bernie 2020 campaign of activating the unactivated this is kind of where it would have needed to start Mm. um again i'm i don't want to try and predict the future no one's very good at it and yeah whatever you say the god will find a way to make a mockery out of it one way or the other but I I really am positive about that, and you don't have to take my word from it. You can you know listen to Matt Chrisman, who knows a lot more than I do, but he's positive about it.
1: And Felix, and, do you think do yeah, you think because the that work on the sort of organizing front and the workplace democracy front hadn't been done before the Bernie campaign, do you think that that's part of what doomed it to failure?
3: I don't really, I don't know if that's what doomed it to failure because I think there is, I mean, yeah, I don't want a Monday morning quarterback this too much because, okay, the, to create the best conditions to win, yeah, like 10 years ago, you would have had to like start organizing all these places. And I don't want to take away from what people on the ground did because canvassers, uh, people getting uh, voters registered did amazing work they went to places in california that democrats never fucking go to that might as well not exist to them like uh places that national democrats won't even acknowledge like central valley and registered people and they did people did amazing work they worked their fucking asses off and the people that we saw at every show the people who drove across the country to do all this uh you know it is things they should be very proud of and these things that they will they'll for the rest of their lives they know they are able to do them i want to make that very clear um and you know yeah to create the best conditions to win yeah i guess like 10 years ago they would have had to start doing that well you know unfortunately a lot of those people were in middle school at that time Mm -hmm. uh so i don't i don't want to you know tell them they, they blew too much of a shot And I I don't think we need, like, I don't think we need 1960s level union membership, you know, for a Bernie-style candidate to win in a national election. I don't think that's true. But I think that general type of thing where American workers, and especially workers who fall into that category of the invisible worker, the, the workers that people do not like to usually think about, if they can be activated, if they can... they they have a voice if they they have some power then that is that is really one of the best things that a national candidate could have
0: yeah I think that's all true uh I also think like a lot of a lot of the stuff about political victories we could easily Monday morning quarterback like I do all the time and we do all the time and break down the strategy and the failures and this and that but a lot of it just comes down to to timing and dumb luck You know, like Pat Buchanan was Donald Trump before Donald Trump was Donald Trump. Pat Buchanan was Donald Trump in like the early 1990s and his campaign just didn't hit because, you know, it it wasn't the timing for that. Whereas with Trump coming off eight years of Obama, where there was a lot of, you know, promises or at least promises people thought were there and not much follow through on it. And, you know, the Democrats were. Uh, not up to speed on the real temperature of the country and then Trump comes up and it's just, just sort of like dumb luck plus the timing of it worked out in his favor because obviously he wasn't staffed with like a whole bunch of professional people who really knew what they were doing it's like he tripped over his dick and fell into the oval office and yeah. sometimes i feel like you know us in this business sometimes we can overthink like well how exactly we're we got to dot this i and cross this t and do this thing and do that thing and it's like yes you should but also sometimes you don't dot that i or cross that t and you trip over your dick and end up in the White House or in a Senate seat or something, you know.
1: Yeah. No, that is true. What are your what do you make of sort of the moves that Trump is making now and the likelihood that he will trip over his dick and end <laughs> up in the White House yet again?
3: Um it's it's very fun it's fun to watch for now because I do like I like how much he clearly hates uh DeSantis.
1: Yeah. (laughs) For even taking
3: like a small percentage of his spectacle, you know, at the at the end of the day, uh, right place, right time, luck, all this shit. But you know, why why was it Trump and not Pat Buchanan? Obviously, material conditions are the most important thing. But I think even if you put a prime Pat Buchanan in there in 2016, he eats it because (laughs) he has no swag. He has no juice. He's he's a little freak. That's That's, right. That's what. Yeah. Little freak. Yeah. Yeah, no, he just he's unrecognizable to the people that he would need that Trump got, but uh, you know, to, to to that end, watching Trump now, like in his element, the thing that he actually likes doing the most, which is running for president, right? Yeah, you know, he's 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 ha- he's having a blast. Yeah, I think it's going to be less fun for him, you know, when he actually does run. And again, I don't. I think just by virtue of everyone saying, "Oh, it's gonna be Trump in 2024. It's gonna happen," somehow, somehow, maybe it won't. The more the people say it, the less I believe it will happen. Right? Yeah. Hillary had just, that too. A, right? Yeah. Right. I know that's a very stupid way to look at the world, but uh, it's not it's stupid. One there's of a the there's a logic thing... there. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say like, "Oh, he's oh he's gonna have a fucking heart attack" or whatever. I don't know what will happen uh if I had to put money on it I probably would I probably would have a parlay that includes him getting the nomination but I just there are a lot of silly inevitabilities if you look at the past six to ten years um I I don't know I obviously if the election was held today I think he very likely beats Joe Biden but I mean if, if there's one guy who's very comfortable being underwater and floundering and everyone being mad at him, it's it's old Joe. And I don't think you can ke- quite count him out either. I think that's that's all true. That's
0: actually brilliant, because even if you say Trump is a favorite and you look at the polls and I saw one the other day, Trump was at like 31 percent. Then you had like DeSantis and. Liz Cheney randomly at 13% weird poll, like a Legere poll or however you pronounce it, Legger, Legere, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I I don't know the sample size, so, you know, this could be all nonsense, but even if you say Trump's a favorite right now, which I think is a fair thing to say, he still only has a plurality, and it would be a small plurality because of all the potential options that can unfold over the next however many years. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you're 31%. Well, if you're playing a game of cards and you got a 31% 31 chance on the river, if you're playing Texas Hold'em, you don't want those odds. You'd rather be on the other side of that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, and uh, to make the case for Joe, uh, it's a ways till the presidential election. Uh, he's
0: they, still alive.
1: He's still alive today. Still out still <laughs> there. He, on he can talk. Um, but no, I mean, in terms of the, the economic pressures that people are really upset about right now, in particular the uh, inflation, those things could definitely change over the next little while. Um, and listen, you don't discount an incumbent president. Um, Trump proved even though he did everything that he possibly could wrong, to be very difficult to beat as an incumbent president, and every incumbent president is you know has an advantage going in, especially if economic conditions are looking a lot better, so you know through no doing of his own, it's possible that he ends up with a much more favorable climate than exists right now, yeah.
3: No, we 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 can never quite predict the future, and that should give uh, equal opportunity for horror and excitement. I don't know. Maybe some. Maybe m- maybe we get what I've wanted this entire time, which is like through you know for whatever reason like Joe at like has a stroke that they can't really hide, and like yeah, tr- it would be hilarious if Trump like. <laughs> If he's, like, one of the, like, 0.01% who gets, like, a vaccine complication, <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, can't run, and then it's, it's like, and then, I don't know, something happens to DeSantis, like, who he just fucking eats shit, and it's, like, Mike Pence versus Kamala, and 30,000 people in the entire country vote in that
1: election
3: <laughs> That it's would like, be, like, if that like, happens. Like, their relatives.
1: Yeah official members of the Democratic Party (laughs) leadership.
3: Low-key, though,
0: that is definitely a possibility. Crazier things have happened. I mean, every election we had in, like, you know, from the 1990s all the way up until Hillary versus Trump, it was, you know, John Kerry versus George W. Bush, Al Gore versus George W. Bush, like... Those that's that's Mike Pence versus Kamala Harris. That's what that is. Like it's the same thing, you know. Yeah.
1: Well, also, I mean, if you just look at the actuarial tables, it's not crazy. The things that you're saying about maybe neither one of these guys is really
0: Trump is going to live forever. Is really um, able.
1: Lives. You think so?
0: He's going to die today because <laughs> I think
1: that, that <laughs> he thinks that as well. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think. I did. Do you guys think that? um Because I always wonder this. Sometimes I see him and I'm like, oh, he's he seems fine. And then other times you're not so sure. I think him having like. COVID before he could have gotten the vaccine, I think that might have, like, really fucked him up. Mm. You know? He really fits the profile of someone who would be decimated by it.
1: He does.
0: That was the reporting from behind the scenes. They said that, like, when he went to the hospital, he had trouble breathing. That he was panicking. And he said, mm. you, you know this, because I you always used to tweet about Stan Chera. Yeah. When he was driving in the car, he's like, yeah. am I going to go out like Stan Chera? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like, I think... You know, it's like any awful respiratory uh, illness. If it happens to, like, an older guy who maybe doesn't have the healthiest habits, it can really, uh, you know, I don't want to say permanently, but makes very lasting impacts. And maybe maybe this does prove too strenuous to him. Maybe he gets a uh, Dante-style ironic punishment. And two years before uh, the primary, he starts mentally deteriorating in the way that Joe does. Mm, it would be great if they
0: both mentally deteriorated and we had a debate where like they're just talking about all sorts of joe's babbling about mary poppins trump is talking about hanging out with Whoopi goldberg in 1992 (laughs) like they're just all over the place they don't know what they're talking about i I would just for the entertainment value to watch the decline of the empire in real time like that would be like
3: fascinating and then we'd all die that's what I that's that's what I wanted so bad when they debated. They're, those debates were a real fucking letdown. You know, it, it wasn't. They didn't. They didn't let Joe have fun, which was unfortunate. <laughs> there was no like. There was no no like. Oh, I'm gonna go backstage and kick your ass stuff. Like, there was no <laughs> look fat wanted. look
1: fat moment in yeah. the debates.
3: I thought he was gonna call Trump fat once, and he never did, and it was <laughs> heartbreaking. And Trump was just like. Badgering Trump in the first it
1: was
3: like, well, Yeah, it was like, well, he was doing like, like he was phoning it in kind of, like he was just doing like greatest hits. It was mm. like a paid club appearance for him. Right. It was like, oh, people like it. People liked it when I was like kind of an asshole, but he doesn't really like do anything that interesting. It's like, no, people liked it. People liked it when you had that like lightning quick retort to Hillary where you're like, yeah, because you'd be in jail. That's right. the, the thing exactly where you were like right. casing a,
0: yeah, the, the Rosie O'Donnell
1: thing
3: the difference yeah. is the difference
0: is and i always thought this, trump in the first campaign was a counterpuncher he would it was like hillary would say some aggressive shit towards him and then like you said he'd slap it down or he would retort in a in a pithy way that's very concise and punchy and that's why everybody thought he was a good debater or, the problem and is
1: in the republican debates it was so that's fun true to watch. that's true yeah. but
0: the problem is in the yes. joe debate trump was the one that was going on the offense Trump wasn't, you know, Joe wouldn't say something aggressive and then Trump had to swat it aside. Trump would be the one to just go at Joe and everybody be like, stop the elder abuse. What are you doing?
1: Especially the first debate, the one where now it turns out he had COVID during the debate. He was just
0: yelling at at Joe and Joe was like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Joe won (laughs) like unanimously. Yeah,
1: I mean, he didn't have to do anything. He just had to stand there and like not be a total (laughs) obnoxious asshole that made everyone hate him in that moment. And everyone was like, well, I take that guy.
0: I even saw Trump people and like, I will, Yeah, too hard, too too fast, too yeah. much.
3: Reel it in a little bit.
1: What do you think, Felix?
3: Oh, I will, I will admit I was completely fucking wrong about that first debate. I mm. was completely fucking wrong. I think I was just, I had been inside too long. I hadn't talked to enough people in the past few months before that because I saw it and I was like, oh my God, Joe's getting destroyed. Oh my God, he's going to lose by 20 points. He looks like such a fucking pussy. But it was like, yeah, most people saw that. <laughs> like, oh, Trump's like an asshole. It's like, you know, reminding me of why I don't like him. Right. Uh, he I didn't was walk completely the line. and totally wrong about that. Yeah.
1: Do you think that his Twitter ban has been net good for him because it's sort of like the uh, opposite effect, where he, people aren't getting constant reminders of how irritating it is and how obnoxious he is, and so some of the the potency of that memory has faded. That's an interesting theory, Crystal.
3: Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I think the importance of Twitter for national politics sake is, I think, in some cases, overblown. A lot of things that we we sometimes can fool ourselves into thinking are universal and recognized. They're, uh, they're actually not even registering with people who aren't on this very fleeting ephemeral platform. Uh, that said, it may make them not as ubiquitous which is something that he definitely likes he definitely really he likes people noticing him uh he likes being the center of a news cycle um i think for him as an artist for like how funny he is for how good like the press releases are it's better for him to not tweet every thought
0: yeah, but I will definitely now, say that. Now he sends out like official presidential notices with his <laughs> tweets. It'll yeah. just be like three lines. Yeah, You're
1: like, what you know you what? Doing? I think the effect has been is it has actually softened his support with the GOP base a little bit. They're not getting that love on a daily basis, but it's improved his support with his ardent... with the general public who don't hate him quite as ardently as when he was an asshole every day.
0: You know, I still think my main yeah, theory yeah. is still that he. He lost that touch of like I'm doing this for you. I'm I'm going to stop the outsourcing. You know, I'm going to the forgotten man and woman will never be forgotten again. Now every time he opens his mouth, it's like January 6 was okay and this they stole the shit from me and that's bad <laughs> and it's like it's just me 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 it's me. When you lose Jordan Peterson, yeah, which is true. what I covered on my show the other day. Yeah. He lost Jordan Peterson. It's like dog, you're talking too much about the me 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 stuff and it's not going to go anywhere. Like now you're I I think you're hardening your support among the most ardent supporters, but that tent is not expanding. It's gotten smaller and smaller and smaller.
3: I think that is, that's a great point. And I think it's also, it's a unique weakness. The election stealing stuff, it's a unique weakness for him because he personally, he personally will never be able to really stop talking about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, yeah, yeah, it's like, I didn't lose, they fucking stole it you know china got the data packets and all this shit <laughs> but uh, i it's it, it's sort of on independence that we're leaning towards him i think it, it's a little poisonous for them because yeah you hear that and you're like this guy sounds like a fucking loser right like I even mean, even if you were you like agree with him on a lot it's like if you're not fully on board i think it yeah. keeps you from being all the way on board because it's like yeah this guy just bitches all the time like uh, it makes you think if you thought he if you thought maybe he didn't really lose it would make you think he lost i will say right. anecdotally though I, I i don't know i've been reading that every time there's a trump thing that dj academics posts a trump thing on his instagram i do like looking at the comments and it is interesting i think i think you're right that him not being on twitter causes like normal people it smooths them out in their memory Mm -hmm. where you only remember the fun stuff (laughs) and i see i see a lot of like regular 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 dudes like uh just regular fucking dudes and women being like he's funny fuck (laughs) joe
1: well i think the uh election stuff i mean i think that's the big reason they lost the georgia senate races is because that was the main cover you had the combination of like that was the main conversation on the Republican side and on the Democratic side they're like we're going to give you a check i promise like just elect us and, the and you're going to get a check
0: the corruption of Purdue and uh, what Leffler lawler they were caught say name. they were yeah. caught red-handed like yeah, selling but, all their stocks before the crash and inside a smoke-filled back room
1: but yeah it's uh, i think that is a unique liability for them just because i mean again it's just just like people right now, Democrats are going to get trounced in the midterms because people feel like they're not doing shit to improve their not, lives, right? and they're not even really focused on it, and they're not even really trying. Like if Republicans, if all they're obsessing over is, you know, whether Liz Cheney's a real Republican and whether January sixth, like what people are going to call it, and whether Stop the Steal, like what happened there, if th- that's not going to connect with people in their like material day to day reality right. either.
0: So they're going to keep swinging. Back, forth, back, forth, back, forth like we've been doing. I don't
1: know what it looks like until something else undetermined Mm -hmm. changes.
0: But I will say as a final point of caution for everybody, I distinctly remember in the 2016 election when it was already, um, i it may have been the primary, but whatever, Trump kept repeating over and over on the campaign trail, Obama founded ISIS he founded it he was the founder and then the media went all in and was like this is fucking outrageous this guy's the president of the united states and and when they brought that up to trump he would just repeat it over and over and i remember watching that like he might be trying to lose like that's crazy you can't say that and then he just weathered that storm so by the same token it's possible with the january 6 shit that after a while he keeps talking about it the media keeps saying oh i'm offended and then eventually people are like all right whatever y'all disagree and then you know, like he could still weather that storm because I've seen him weather storms similar before where he says something equally outrageous and then it just doesn't land.
1: Well, it's not like the competition he's facing is all that impressive. <laughs> so he also has that going for him. To say
0: the least, mm-hmm. yeah. Felix, thanks yeah. so much holy, for joining yeah, us, man. Holy
3: shit. Oh, no, thank you so much. Uh, I had a great time. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, yeah, I will, uh, next time uh, I, I see you guys, who knows, maybe it really is, Maybe it is Mike Pence versus Kamala. We will see. Um, and,
1: and we'll by see. the way, if Beautiful that's the case, to look to.
3: we'll clip this out and you're going to get
0: endless credit. <laughs> we'll put the date on the screen <laughs> and everything. And people will be like, this guy's got a crystal ball. No pun intended. <laughs> I
1: was waiting for someone to make that there reference. You go. There you go. Um, Felix, lovely to chat with you. Tell I'm everybody
3: where they too. could find you, bud. i uh, uh, patreon.com slash chapo trap house i am uh at by your logic on twitter and instagram we're also on twitch uh twitch.tv slash chapo trap house uh i do not have to plug the youtube anymore we got to the subscriber benchmark that chris wanted they're sending him this trophy so i that is everything that's everything
1: what did you what do you how many i think they to?
3: just hit 100 right you just hit 100 yeah like not that like it's not like a crazy amount but chris just really wanted a trophy we have like we have like uh not that big of a presence on youtube yeah you don't post like, much on the, youtube yeah yeah we're we're doing it more just because it's like you know it's a good way to get people to like listen to your thing but most of our shit on youtube that people listen to is like other people doing it which like yeah i don't give a shit about i'm i'm totally you know if you're out there and you by chance liked anything I said and you you want to listen to our premium content but you're like I don't have five dollars or I don't want to pay five dollars I do not give a shit if you pirate pirating represents a part of the market that w- will not pay uh you know do do what you got to do if you support it thank you love you if you don't I've pirated too many things in my life to tell you Yeah, no. <laughs> I think
1: that isn't This is
3: why we love you, the brutal
0: I, honesty. I also covet my
1: 100,000 YouTube plaque, so it's also very Yeah,
0: relevant. I have the old one, and it's so ass cheeks. Like, your new one is so shiny oh, and nice shiny. and sexy, and then mine looks like it was made by the hunchback of Notre Dame in his basement. It's just, like, Able. dull and disgusting and... <laughs> Actually, I'm wrong. Some, like, slave factory in China made it and sent it off to me.
1: Yes, yeah. that's probably more accurate.
0: I want a new one, but they, anyway, I'm babbling. Thanks so much, Felix. You're the man. We appreciate it.
1: Bye, Felix. Take care. My pleasure.
0: Thank you, guys. All right. That was Felix Biederman. Betterman?
1: Biederman. Biederman. We'll go with.
0: Felix from Chapo Trap House. Yeah. Uh, or as I heard one of them say, Chapo Trap House.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like, what's the words I say that you're like, nah, you don't really say them the way I say them?
1: Arizona.
0: I say Arizona. You say Arizona. Say it.
1: Arizona. Yeah,
0: you say like Arizona. Like
1: Arizona. Yeah,
0: because it's an A. Arizona. <laughs> and then there's uh, and. I say and. You say and. Or say it. Say end.
1: I don't even know what l- word you're trying to say. A A-N-D? D. N- me and you. And.
0: And. So there's a little, little bit of a difference. Mm-hmm. What are the other ones? Let's go through the whole list while we're at it. <laughs>
1: Florida.
0: Oh yeah, Florida. I admit that one's very New Yorky, how I say it, because yeah. everybody else has Florida floor, like floor, it uh like foot on the floor, it uh, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yes, I do. Yeah. Anyway, Felix is great. Oh, he's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, he's great.
0: No, I was just we were just talking to James off air. I feel a, a kinship with the Chapo guys, Chapo mm-hmm. Chapo guys because I'm just going to be in my head now the whole time because um they're they're generally viewed—I don't know if people mean this in a pejorative sense or not. I certainly don't, but they're viewed as, like, dirtbag left. Yeah. Right? I don't and,
1: know what, if the origin of that term was originally pejorative, yeah, that's but what they I'm saying. sort of, like, claimed it. I that's don't what I'm saying.
0: A, I don't yeah. know what the etymology of it is, yeah. but all I do know is I've always felt a kinship with them because if they're, like, dirtbag left, I've always been, like— dirtbag left aligned, like semi dirtbag left. I still got the nice button down shirt, the nice jacket, but as James pointed out, I'll also randomly say the word ash cheeks on air as I'm talking. So it's sort of like a mix of that. So I've always liked loved, you know, his commentary. I've always loved their podcast. Yeah. And uh, I think you could tell with how no, we were talking about awful
1: guy. I mean really I thought his take on the burning campaign was really interesting and You know i certainly agree with him that the most hopeful thing that's going on right now in the entire country is um the little stirrings of the labor movement that you see the starbucks stores that are organizing dozens of them across the country um and of course we see the reaction from the corporate powers that be firing those organizers and doing everything they can to uh to nip that in the bud and extinguish that flame but you do have a younger generation that doesn't have a lot of direct experience with unions, but has a lot of um, interest in and approval of, and you know, uh, sort of values alignment with the union movement. That's something that you could really, really build on.
0: Yeah, and I think everybody on the left—that's the thing that's viewed the most favorably by everybody on the left. The the new the rise of unions again. It's a unifier. It is a unifier and we need a lot more unifiers because unfortunately, and yet look, it might be a byproduct of just the Internet age that now everybody's factionalizing at each other's throats and it's, you know, everybody hates everybody else for this reason or that reason. And it's kind of amazing to me how few people can just try to look at it more objectively and say, let's just stop. Let's just stop with the bickering. I think
1: it's just because there's not a uh, another large project that everyone's like clearly aligned with, right. where yeah. it's mm-hmm. worth it for them to put aside whatever right. annoyances, mm-hmm. grievances, like disagreements that they have. And then you have just like you were pulling up your numbers of like, well, this one, this video got this number, and the this, least number the ones, on
0: the union ones for me. The ones it's that real get, shame. The
1: ones that get the most are, um, you know,
0: personalized.
1: Yeah. Well, and specifically, if you're gonna go after some other like YouTuber, everybody wants to show up for the battle. So that yeah, incentivizes it. that exact type of squabbling, especially, again, when no one has a bigger sort of interest in mind of some goal that we're all pursuing together collectively that it's worth putting aside those grievances. I will for. go
0: to my grave believing we can be better than that. I will. And I try my best to, to not, you know, I'm not perfect, nobody's perfect, but I try my best to not engage in that type of stuff. I'll talk to somebody if they disagree, and we can work it out. Yeah,
1: you and Bosch and- had a good exchange on Ukraine, for example. Yeah,
0: it, exactly. And, you know, we still disagree. That's fine. But, like, if you're going to make political change and you can't have two people who are ideologically similar enough like me and him to just have a conversation, right? you're not going to make political change. This right. we, This used to be considered obvious. Now, all of a sudden, I'm the one with the controversial view when I say that. You know, like you're going to have to have a broad alliance if you really want to make change. And I mean a broad alliance in the real world, not just online. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the whole idea of solidarity. The whole idea behind the union movement is like, look, we could have a black person, a white person, a trans person, a gay person, somebody whose politics are incredibly conservative, somebody whose politics are openly Marxist, Leninist or whatever. But you hold hands in solidarity and you work together to try to get, you know, uh paid vacation time or or higher wages that's the whole idea of solidarity
1: yeah And listen, let's be clear, the union movement hasn't always lived up to that. There have been times when unions have been used to further discrimination and things like that. But the union movement at its best has also um, pushed forward inclusiveness and pushed forward equality and making sure that people were truly treated as equals in their workplaces and in the union hall. It's one of the only spaces left in American life where you have that um, diverse engagement that you're talking about across ideological lines where people have to engage in like the real world project of how do we help each other make sure that we're being treated with dignity, that we're being kept safe, um, that we you know, have sort of like basic human rights in the workplace. That's one of the only remaining spaces in American life where that type of engagement occurs, which is why it's so incredibly important and why it is also such a radical threat, just the values of it, to the direction that America has been going in for a very long time. So I think that's why we all see so much like little glimmers of hope there, even as my God, the landscape is so incredibly difficult. Starbucks demonstrating it right now with their union busting tactics. And even after you get a, you, you know, vote to form the union, then it's a whole other challenge to get the company to engage with you in good faith on a contract and to be able to win a contract. And then especially in these service Uh, oriented uh, service sector unions, you have high turnover. So then they try to hire people who are going to be anti-union so that down the road they can get the union decertified. So there's just so many obstacles to it that it makes it very difficult. But what we're also seeing with Starbucks is that when they couldn't stop it in Buffalo, it unleashed a torrent of possibility across the country. And that makes it very hard for them to fight because now they're not just fighting in, you know, one city, Mm -hmm. a handful of locations. Mm -hmm. Now they're having to fight at some 60-plus stores that are all moving in this direction. And they won't all succeed, but maybe you get a dozen. Maybe you build from there and you show what the possibility is and what the difference is between those unionized stores and the non-union stores. So we'll see. It's the one thing I'm hopeful about.
0: There's a great Michael Brooks quote. It's I, I'm gonna butcher it, but help me out if you remember it. Be kind to individuals, but ruthless with systems. Mm-hmm. That's it right there. That's it. Yeah. So like yes, take on you know the corporate structure and and the forces that are genuinely holding everybody down, all working people down. But in terms of other individuals, should have nothing but sympathy. and I, I say being... purity of policy versus purity of character. yeah I, pu- purity of character, I don't care. Right. We're all stupid. We're all idiots sometimes. Right.
1: We're well, all dumb. Or sometimes. So I don't mind being ruthless with the people who are keeping those institutions in place. I think he means the, we mean <laughs> yeah. the same
0: thing. He means the same thing. Yeah. If somebody's an individual who's a literal representative of that ruthless system, then, yeah.
1: But the other thing is, like, um, you'll see this employed, this tactic employed as a way to undercut or undersell any little um little glimmers of progress that are made is like, well, that politician was just forced into that position and they don't really believe it in their hearts of hearts or they're they're pursuing a good position because it's a cynical ploy. I don't care if it's a cynical ploy. Well, I don't care what's in their heart of hearts. All I care is if they're ultimately being pushed to do the right thing or they find it in their best political interest to do the right thing. That's fine. That's the way you have to treat these people. True,
0: but also actions speak louder than words because on paper, Gavin Newsom was saying all the right things about Medicare oh, of for course. all. But yeah. the fact that he was taking all of that money from the for-profit health insurance companies— Led to him not following through on the thing he was unequivocal about. Yeah,
1: well, I'm not so, talking about words. I'm talking about action.
0: You're talking about action. Yeah. Okay. So it's like they got to say the right things, but also not be totally bought and owned by the same forces that are destroying everything. Mm-hmm. Which, unfortunately, is rare as an albatross in today's day and age. Indeed, I guess we're working on that. And bottom up with the union movement is the way to do it. Anyway, guys, uh, we love you. I enjoyed the conversation today. I thought it was great. Uh, If you like this show, if you support what we do, go ahead and check us out on Substack. $5 a month gets you the video of the show, and you get it a day early. You could also just sign up on Substack for free and get the audio as soon as it drops, which is a day later. Uh, Big thank you to Piper for all the newsletters, and big thank you to uh, everybody who already is a a paying member. We really appreciate you guys. Remember, we don't take a single penny from any other source for this show there's no yeah. we could read ads if we want like every other podcast we actively decided not to do that we don't even have any pre-roll ads or post-roll ads when we upload this thing on the private link to youtube we literally click off the monetization so we're not made any other it's all funded through you guys and we love that so thank you from the bottom of our hearts if you are somebody who's you know part of this experience with us we love you guys and we'll talk to you soon
1: see y'all next week